0: Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavonston, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count.
1: And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and all the issues of Amazing Spider-Man Index, and all the issues of Giant Size Spider-Man, and all the issues of Amazing Scarlet Spider-Man, and the annuals, which definitely do not count.
0: But let me ask you, Mark, do you have a copy of Amazing Spider-Man 583 with Barack Obama on the cover, the first printing?
1: First printing with Obama? No, I only have the uh, regular cover of that, which is like a John Romita cover with Peter on the prowl. And I have a second printing Obama cover because I just wasn't fast enough nor willing to spend the money retroactively to get that first print. But hey, congratulations, Dan.
0: <laughs> well, and, and yeah, until last week, I had the same collection as you in that regard. But I, I bit the bullet and bought a way too expensive comic book that a lot of people have. <laughs> I feel pretty good about it. I kind of got in the inauguration fever and decided, you know, that's it. I am going to uh, just buy up that book. And, uh, you know, it felt really good to to finally have it. But I don't think that it's an essential to have in your collection, as much as I think most people just figured that was the normal cover for that issue. I, mean, <laughs> I think even at the time I was like, oh, that's the variant. And then I picked up that John Romita Sr. cover because that's what was available from Forbidden Planet the day that it came out.
1: Oh, Forbidden Planet. How I miss that place. Anyway, what are we here doing, Dan?
0: <laughs> yeah, everybody. Welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. And thanks for joining us tonight for a special review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Yes, on this episode, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 58, also known as Legacy Number 859. This issue was written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Wayne Foucher, colors by Maury Hollowell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramunga. The cover is by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Edgar Delgado. This issue was first released in stores on January 27th, 2021.
0: So here we are, Amazing Spider-Man 58, the start of a new arc, it seems, maybe a short one negative space. And we got this kind of nice title page that's split in half, which is a nice touch, you know, to kind of like get this thing up to the page count. You know, we've been kind of down on this book recently and we weren't sure what this issue would really be like. Would it be another kindred centric thing? Would it be a swerve into Mr. Negative territory? Although I guess he showed up during, you know, Sins Rising. What'd you think of this one? Did it Did it bounce back at all, or are we still kind of like getting frustrated with this
1: thing?
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny.
1: Fifty-seven finished, and I saw the cover preview for fifty-eight, and I saw that it was this. You know, we saw that the the inner demons of Mister Negative fighting Spider-Man on the cover. I remember thinking to myself. Oh, God, this is this is just going to be like my worst nightmare personified because we've been kind of languishing in this kindred arc. You know, we have two episodes, uh, two issues of of fallout from this last remains arc that, you know, lasted all these issues. And it's like, you know, we're, what are we going to do? Just pretend that none of this happened for an issue or two, uh, you know, a la like that 2099 arc. And, you know, like all like basically what we've been experiencing for the better part of the last two and a half years on this on this book. For me, this is this is how these books should have been reading, for the better part for the last couple of years, Dan. Like this, I mean, we have Peter driving the action. We we have an awareness of kindred now, which I think is 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 critical. And you know, Peter is kind of driving the action with that, and like we're getting. Parts of that storyline advanced incrementally while Peter is addressing other stuff as Spider-Man. And it's like, you know, if you go back to those original Roger Stern Hobgoblin stories and then kind of the follow up with Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends when they brought in the Rose and, you know, Richard Fisk and all that, like... This is what these books are. It's 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 never just one story that we're focusing on. It's it's lots of little things with kind of one big arc that's kind of connecting them all in one way or another. So like for me this was actually a return to form and you know it kind of brought Spencer back to a kind of storytelling that I think frankly he's better at and you know we could talk a little bit about what he, you know, how he, this worked and what didn't later on. But like, for me, this worked. this issue worked for the most part. What about you?
0: Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. I really enjoyed this story. I mean, I don't think it's a really strong standalone story necessarily. Like it's the start of a of, of another arc, but I really like how it plays out, you know, and you said it, like Peter is being proactive and, and, and that makes all the difference in the world because you know, now we're all on the same page. We know about Kindred's existence and we're learning things together and that makes it fun. And, you know, there's some new wrinkles introduced here, which normally I think would feel frustrating, but now I kind of like am in on it. I get to hear what Peter's thinking and how he's reacting to things. And you're right. It's very much like that Hobgoblin story or even, you know, uh, eras like during menace during brand new day where they would have like the different stories, that felt fun in their own right, or like little, like, you know, one-offs, like I suspect this Mr. Negative thing will be, that then tie in to Menace in some ways. And I have some theories about how Mr. Negative might factor into Kindred within this story that we're dealing with. But I think this also really works well with Spider-Man, particularly because, you know, this makes Peter feel like he's a bit underwater, like... He's got all these different things he's got to juggle at the same time. And and not just on the surface where we get like one or two pages of them reminding it that it exists. Like he's actually these are like two concurrent stories that really split the page count, you know, in this book. Like we don't get a ton of Spider-Man action. But we get some good Peter stuff and some good supporting cast stuff that doesn't feel like it, we used to think get a lot of this in the Dan Slot era where it'd be like, Here's like two panels of Aunt May. Remember, she exists. You know, it's a little more built out here. And so I get to sink my teeth into a couple scenes and feel like we're making substantial progress of both stories. And it feels really great. You know, I think we needed to round this corner for Kindred with Peter. I wish we had done it a lot earlier, but we are here and maybe we can enjoy some of the stories that you know exist in this particular realm even if it is still frustrating to be this far along and not really know what's happening.
1: Frankly, uh, an issue like this in conjunction with some of the others may not read as great in a trade, but like it reads, reads much better as a floppy comic book. And I think like, I think this is, this is one of the big overarching problems that we get with, with this run is like, you know, who, who are we writing for? I mean, you know, maybe when last remains and all the, the sidebar issues are collected together, it's going to read a lot more cohesively, but like kind of stretched out over three and a half months, the way it was. And, you know, the 10 issues plus the prelude plus the after aftermaths, I, you know, it just felt like it was this one big long experiment that went nowhere. I think the brand new day analogy was even is even frankly a better one than me bringing up Stern and Hobgobble. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to our season four content by bringing that up, but no, but this was very brand new day. Like where, and, and yeah, I mean, like, you know, what was one of the big themes of brand new day, you know, maybe much to the chagrin of people who don't like the, the, the Tom Brevoort manifesto, but it's like, you know, this idea of, of Peter, the every man down on his luck do, trying to do too many things at once. And, and this felt very much like it because it's, he's, he's, he's trying to advance things with Kindred, but then he's got a, he's, he's trying to resolve things with Liz Allen and Normie. And then Norman comes in and then he finds out about Aunt May. And we know that Fisk is involved. And then it's Mr. Negative and the demons. And it's, it's like, Oh, wow, there's, there's a lot going on. And yet Peter feels central to all of it. No, he, he is not a bystander in his own comic at any point at this, even when he's not necessarily in, in his costume doing Spider-Man things, but like it's, he is the central character and, and it shouldn't take such a simple conceit to be, so satisfying in this comic. And maybe this is like being like marked up on a curve because we just haven't been having that in so long. But the fact of the matter is like, it feels familiar in a very good way. And I was happy that we returned to this kind of storytelling in this comic.
0: What I like too, is that the comic seems to know it. It suggests that like, he keeps saying, everything is connected, everything is connected. And I felt like these two stories, which yeah, seem very divergent at first, even though Mr. Negative kind of came in a few issues back, which I think we criticized for being kind of out of nowhere. Like, Mr. Negative was not really seeded into this run very well. But, you know, if this is going to be the payoff, this is kind of an interesting start to this story. I like that the book, like, knows that, hey, you can do all these different things, but, you know, there is, a like, the tightest little thread between them. You know, like, Kingpin is, you know, overseeing the kind of crime lords in the city, which you can read about more in the Daredevil books, where he allows... You know, certain criminals to kind of you know attack the city, but only under his permission. And I like that; it's nice interconnectivity with the rest of the Marvel universe, and you know, it ties this story together. So, uh, I I thought this was a, a you know a really fine issue.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit more in detail here. I mean, it, we 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 start off with. You know, it's it's the it's kind of Nick Spencer's go to structurally now, which is like this kind of framing device of, you know, it reminds me of, you know, the the, from Thor Ragnarok. the How did I get here? Well, let me tell you, you know, record scratch thing. (laughs) And he does it a lot. And, you know, that's fine, I guess. But, you know, like he's fighting the 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 inner demons and then we kind of, you know, stop the record and go all the way back to the beginning here. But then I feel like once we go all the way back to the beginning, the, the story hits its stride. I mean, we get the initial scene with May and Martin Lee was good in kind of, you know, bringing Martin into the story appropriately. I felt it cast May in, in a good light in terms of like, her, her kindness and her demeanor. I mean, this, this is this is like character stuff, but it's the kind of character stuff I come for this series to read, you know?
0: Yeah, and I kept thinking about how emotional this comic was. And I think a lot of that has to do with Marcelo Ferreira's artwork is really expressive and kind of, you know, both in and out of the costumes. The characters are crying and you know big you know big emotions and in costume like peter is coiled or expressive i mean it kind of reminds me his uh pencil work of max Fiomara's artwork uh, specifically his spider-man has like these kind of like leathery like volumetric eyes that i found really cool to see here you know you have uh, wayne Foucher's inks which are really nice and heavy and maury hollowell who did the colors there's this really nice kind of light shading that I think, you know, it's kind of going with like the naturalistic colors instead of the, you know, kind of modern comics coloring stuff. And I, I found that really refreshing seeing the kind of like white light hitting Spider-Man and modeling um, his face. It's just really good cinematography work. And I've liked a lot of the colorists on this book, but a lot of them I think tend to kind of lean into more modern two-toned comic stuff. And and I like this kind of like, let colors be colors approach that I think Maury Hollowell kind of like rides really well. So I wanted to kind of point out that noir lighting in that opening scene with Spider-Man, like talking about how his life is hell. And then the kind of more restrained, like softer stuff that we get between, you know, Martin Lee and Aunt May, which you were talking about, like not only is she kind there, but I think the pencils and the colors are kind on both of them. I, I appreciated this. I know Marcelo has done a bunch of covers for us and an issue a while back with The Lethal Legion, but I enjoyed seeing his work here.
1: The the May Martin stuff was definitely very intimate, and I felt that the, the Peter and Liz Allen stuff was also emotionally intimate as well. I mean, which is, you know, like, again, considering the thrust of what the last story was, like, that kind of emotional intimacy would have been nice, and it would have maybe pushed the story more proactively, but we never really got those moments. Whereas this kind of gives you those moments, but gives you the, it gives you unexpected combinations of, I, I, you know, like I always like it when I see Peter interacting with the ancillary Osborne character. Cause you know, like it's at the end of the day, they're the collateral damage of the, of the Parker Osborne feud. And so seeing him with Liz and Normie, I, I felt like that scene really landed. I mean, to me, that's where the comic was was at its best. I felt it was really singing at that point. But I, I also agree. I felt the 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 stuff between May and Martin was was well done too. Even if like the the you know we got a little bit of a retcon with Mister Negative uh, in that scene, which you know was like okay. I mean, you know, so he's 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 fighting. He's he's always been fighting off Negative, and you know, it, it, I don't know. What would you think of that <laughs> in terms of uh, that that little plot point?
0: I mean, I kind of like the cleaning up of the Mr. Negative thing. I think I've echoed this complaint about the character on the show over the years is that, like, at first, Mr. Negative and Martin Lee seem to have no knowledge of each other. And, you know, as illustrated in that the Dan Slott anti-Venom story. Oh,
1: New Ways to Die? Yeah,
0: New Ways to Die. How did I forget that? You know, there's that scene in New Ways to Die where Martin Lee takes May into the back room and she's got the chess, chess board and he doesn't know who he's playing against. And I remember thinking like, what a cool concept, like this villain is really neat. But then I think over the years, including from Dan Slott, like the character has kind of been like oscillated about how much he knows or how those powers work and how much he can control it. Here, I like the kind of cleaning up of it. I mean, it might not be accurate, but, you know, I I appreciate any time a villain's history is kind of retconned to at least make it more coherent
1: let's get to this Peter and Liz scene. Cause I, like I said, this was probably my favorite part of the comic. And, and I felt like this is, this is where like, you know, in terms of our opening thesis about this issue where I felt like it really was hitting because I mean, we get this, this great kind of catch up scene between Peter and Liz where Peter is, is breaking the news to her about Harry. And in the midst of that, we start getting more reveals regarding Harry there's still an aura, a mystery about it that kind of keeps you guessing. And like, this is, to me, this is how you do a mystery villain, you know what I mean? Because like, you know, now we're, we're playing with the element that we kind of know information, we, we, I shouldn't say we kind of know, we know certain bits of information, but are the, are the pieces of information that we have actually accurate and, and on the up and up? And, you know, based on what we're seeing in this comic, maybe not. Uh, and that to me, like, again, kind of, reinvigorates my interest in Kindred and Harry and where this is all going. But again, you know, in terms of the the reveal to Liz, I really appreciated her reaction here, which was, I mean, kind of to be expected, which was denial turned into kind of the shock and horror of it. Uh, What what did you think of the scene?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to kind of ask you a question about what you just said, which is like this bit of information that we're not so sure we can trust. Are you speaking specifically of, like, whether Harry is kindred? I mean, is that something you feel like this introduced some doubt into? Or are you, are you, are you still on the kind of train of, it's like, it's Harry, but with an extreme wrinkle?
1: I, I still think it's Harry, but with a wrinkle. But this is, I, I also feel that this comic puts both questions in into action here. Because, I mean, you know, not, not to jump ahead here, but, you know, Normie, Normie comes out at one point And, oh, Normie... Always so damaged and frightened and frightening in his own childlike way. Uh, um, (laughs) You know, I mean, maybe Normie's kindred. No, I I won't go there. I swear. He, you know, he basically says, no, no, mom, Peter's right. And I have proof, and he pulls back the the curtain to reveal, you know, the cachet of of goblin weapons and gliders and whatnot. And even Peter has this moment where it's like, well, that proves it. And then, well, but wait, does it? Because it's not like Harry is becoming the Green Goblin here. It, it, Harry is this totally different character. So, really, what Normie kind of pulls back proves nothing except that for some reason. Harry has a collection, uh, you know. The Harry that they know has a collection of Goblin stuff there. So what's that about? And then of course Norman shows up, uh, which you know, again, I feel like it's it's purposeful editing. You know what I mean? Like like to have Norman kind of show up at that point. So again, like it, it, it's it's begging the question: or is what we're seeing what it truly is, or is are there wrinkles, or are are we not seeing? What the truth is, you know, and I and I think this comic puts puts both possibilities out there.
0: Well, I think the the other interesting thing for me is like we've been kind of pushing back on the characterization of of Harry as Kindred, if that truly is Harry Osborne, formerly Harry Lyman, the same character from the Dan Slot run, and what I thought was interesting was. The the recap page, I mean, it's nice to see Spencer spell it out. Not that I think that he didn't know about that storytelling, because obviously he did. I mean, if he's pulling obscure stuff, he's very aware of what Dan Slott did to the character, especially with the character so at the center of his story. But it's nice to see it acknowledged in the book that, like, hey, that whiplash that you're feeling as an audience, like, our characters are feeling that, too. You know, uh, like, Harry wasn't turning into the goblin You know, so like this is really out of nowhere. And, you know, there's the kind of interesting thing of Harry telling Liz that he has been consulting in London, no Paris. And I think there is some intention behind her not really remembering which location he's been in, London or Paris. You know, and we'll talk about this again in a later scene in this issue. But in Amazing Spider-Man 581, where we find out the history of like Harry's return at the beginning of brand new day, you know, they're unspecific about where Harry has been. You know, they say he's been in rehab centers across Europe. So, you know, I, I almost wonder if, you know, that lack of specificity is just kind of referring to the previous lack of specificity and the Paris thing will come back up again later in this issue. So, for me, I think there's that. And then the most interesting thing, thing in this is, I think, Peter's own reluctance to accept that it is what it is on face value. Like, why introduce that that wrinkle of Peter's doubt if that isn't something that you want to ultimately play with? And, you know, looking at this, Mark, I don't believe it for a second. Like, th- I think there's a second big swerve here coming about Kindred, not just the identity, but like how this has happened. And I don't think that this goblin stuff has any relationship to Kindred. I think that this is, like you said, where Norman conveniently shows up a panel later. I, I think this was to protect his family from an attack by Norman Osborn. J- just as we had saw in, you know, issue 800, where he got on a glider and defended his family from from Norman. You know, I think this is a deeply fearful Harry that still is trying to, you know, rebuild his life.
1: But at the same token, you know, this, you know, Kindred certainly did everything in his power to depower Norman, taking all of, you know, all of his weapons and whatnot as he could, and then, you know, putting his plan into action with the Sin Eater. It's just that coming to bear, you know what I mean? But like, but that's the point, like this could be anything, you know? And I and I, I appreciate it. Like I said, this is, this is mystery storytelling in a way where I feel like, it's being fair to the audience again. It's, 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 it's putting stuff out there and possibly misdirecting, but as you know, but like letting you know, this could be misdirection or maybe it's not. And that's to me, to me, like it's the fairness in the storytelling. If you're going to really bring some, you know, draw something out that you need that you need, you need to play by rules. You need to be fair about it. You can't just like, string people along string people along string people along and then all of a sudden introduce a wrinkle that no one saw coming so now i feel like okay we're 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 starting to we're starting to bring stuff up that could go somewhere or maybe not but at least like we're being toyed with in a in a, in a more palatable way i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe 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 i'm just feeling more palatable about it but like like i said it's it's it's, it's putting stuff out there in a way that's not totally random and, and scattershot again. And I like that.
0: I think if we're both feeling the same way about this, there's something to it, you know, like, uh, you know, that we're both responding this way. So then of course, like you said earlier, Norman shows up, you know, was it just me or is it just kind of weird to read a scene where everybody in it except for Liz Allen knows that Peter is Spider-Man? I mean, including Normie, uh, even though it was caused by Donnie Cates and the editor's mistake. I still was happy to have uh, gone on Donnie's podcast and called him out about, but, uh, (laughs) you know, I I love Donnie Cates' writing, but uh, I do think the editors let him down there. Nevertheless, I'm curious, there's no real wink or nod here that, like, Spencer has Normie, like, knowing that Peter and Spider-Man are the same person. I almost wonder if that will be ignored from the events of Absolute Carnage or, or not. At
1: one point where I was kind of taking inventory On who was in the scene and I was like Wait are we sure Liz doesn't know And then it's like oh no he you know he does Like the I gotta go you know And you know she seemed none the Wiser about it and it was kind of like oh Okay I mean but yeah it, it, it is Weird that we're getting to the point where You know the the majority Of the characters no, you know involved know, and it's the minority That doesn't because like I was Like I even had a moment in this comic where I was like Aunt May doesn't know now, right? No, no, no. That, that's just Jonah who knows. It's like you know, like we've gotten to that point with the character again. So, I mean, maybe, maybe you know, maybe in you know, everyone is saying that this stuff might undo the work of one more day, but maybe, maybe, maybe the blind spot of Peter's identity is what's actually going to come out, you know, come back from all this again. From because I feel like who doesn't know he's Spider Man now? Because it's getting confusing. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, what's really interesting is like, uh, it seems to me like all of Peter's enemies are now becoming like his closest allies and and know his identity again. And I almost wonder if we're like in the process of like pulling up like a flip here where, you know, it's like, well, Norman and JJ are, you know, are now his like closest allies and you know uh you know harry is back being a villain i mean who's next right like uh, it it would be almost an interesting uh experiment if you could flip the supporting cast and how they feel about spider-man like a complete 180 i talk about a way to reinvent the book right yeah
1: absolutely (laughs) don't forget otto knows too i mean you know like a lot of people know again yeah does fisk know i think fisk does know right
0: I I don't think so. And I don't think current Otto Octavius knows because he was like reborn back into his octopus body and lost his memory. Oh, that's right. That's right. In the process. At the end of Superior,
1: right? Or the the Christos Gage Superior, right? Okay, okay, Never mind. Strike that from the record. But and I guess we, we, we did get a little bit of a of a revisiting of the of the. Oh wait, no. Let me let's finish up with Norman, Norman here. So I, I, it was kind of funny, like you know, Norman's back, and Peter, of course, is like ready to like wallop him again, and then you know, because it was like just an issue earlier where he's like, I never want to see you again. And it's like, and he's right back. It's just like, it's like like a unlucky penny. He just keeps turning up.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in a way, like I, I, I'm like kind of want to throw it aside, but in a way I did feel a little like cheated that we spent so much time like on that idea in the previous issue. If we're just going to revisit him immediately. But I mean, at least the dramatic stakes between the two are kind of there. And, I like that Norman kind of like rightfully rebuffs Peter that he's like, hey, look, if you really wanted to have us out of your lives, you wouldn't be here right now. Right. Like you're you're checking up on Harry and his family, you know, uh, against what you told me the other day. So, like, I'm just calling your bluff. Yeah. and, Uh, And he's
1: right. I'm not saying that I think that Norman has turned the corner and has turned over a new leaf or anything like that. But like this is clearly setting up, you know. I'll, the way we did before Norman got turned by the Sin Eater where, you know, Peter and him are going to have to align to some degree to to get to the bottom of all this. It's just whether, you know, how is Norman going to screw him over in the end is kind of where I stand. But but we're clearly going to get the, the, the team up at some point. It's just It just seems inevitable, don't you think?
0: Yeah. Uh, ra- round two, I guess, uh, after 850. So then Norman, you know, like kind of ties that bow by... You know, t- telling you know Peter that like he heard from the Kingpin that there was going to be an attack on Feast, which you know, he's like, oh, I, I, you know, doesn't Aunt May, or doesn't May Parker run that? And it's like, do we need to use surnames? Like, is, <laughs> like it's just May. Uh, so of course Peter does the like I gotta get out of here thing and rushes off to Feast. I
1: gotta see about an old lady.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So uh, at, at Feast, there are the, like, disembodied sins of Mr. Negative floating outside the building. I'm not really n- entirely sure of how this whole thing worked out because, like, I thought that he rejoined with his sins and that was the fear. But I, I guess when he said that he was able to subdue Mr. Negative's personality, he literally meant, like, expel, to expel the sins outside of his body and and then those sins can't get into feast because it's like a holy place, I, I, you know. I I don't really know about that. Like, is it a church? Uh, m- maybe maybe it is. That might be a detail I'm forgetting. A little incredulous, but, but okay. okay, fine, <laughs> fine. But so we got to fight the demons now, which they they kind of um, go out of their way to showcase that they're invulnerable again because I believe when Mister Negative was healed. The inner demons were, were killable at some point. Do you have any memory of that? Maybe I'm forgetting. I feel like the demons were able to be killed at some point.
1: It's been a while, but I, I, I do think you're <laughs> right on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we see one get like stabbed through the middle and he's fine. So, you know, I guess as long as Mr. Mr. Uh, Negative is kind of back in power, they, their powers are restored, which makes sense to me. Yeah, I did. I did
1: appreciate throughout this sequence, like Spider-Man just kind of being like, let me blow off some steam. You know, he's like, these guys are hard. <laughs> these guys are hard to kill, but I don't care. I I just want to punch some stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, like, let Spider-Man punch some dudes, you know, like it, it like it's not. I, I mean, maybe that cheapens the threat of it all a little bit. But I as a Spider-Man fan found it enjoyable because like, you know, like, let's be honest, if if, if Peter is going to get dusted. It's not going to be by one of the inner demons. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I liked his kind of attitude at the beginning of the book, which I guess is like a flash forward. So the rest of the book is a flashback. Who can tell with the way these things are uh, are, are structured, but where he's like, come at me to, to them. And it's like he's like all coiled up, ready to go. It matches up with the kind of angry Peter that I, we saw in the previous issues, so I'm I'm enjoying the more kind of consistent characterization of Peter. It seems we've we've been getting because I, I I felt like in the first like 50 issues of this run, he would be obsessed with one thing and then that would be gone from his memory. So you know I am enjoying like the the kind of flow the ongoing flow of this. Do we want to talk a little bit about this kingpin scene?
1: Is it kind of the closure of the comic here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this scene is really interesting for uh, the kind of implications it has. So, like, the kingpin at one point recounts that uh, to Kindred that he had met him before by visiting the Parisian catacombs, which, Mark, I got to say, I've been to the Parisian catacombs. I have not. In real
1: life. So, good stuff.
0: It's super cool. I it's mean, like did, did you Indiana kill your, did you kill your tour guides after the fact
1: <laughs> or, um,
0: <laughs> I didn't actually have tour guides, which is one of the interesting things about the Parisian catacombs. Like you can pay, like, I think it's like eight euros to go down and you go down these like really tight winding stairs for a long way. And there are parts where like, you know, you're really encroached and water is like dripping off the rocks onto your head you get to a point where you get to these like uh, rows of, of bones. And I don't know if you know this, is like 8 million people buried beneath. Oh, Paris. wow.
1: No. Okay.
0: And just basically the aisles are lined with uh, femurs and skulls. And there's no real indication of where the other bones are. But you walk for like an hour or so underground with just femurs and skulls. And you can literally go and pick up a skull and hold it in your hand or shove it in your backpack. Apparently people steal bones there all the time. But it's just like, it really puts into perspective like the Black Death and stuff for you. You know, as you're walking by, you know, people, right? <laughs> like, that, that we're people. Anyway, uh, one of the most incredible experiences of my life, just kind of going down there. A whole other point. But when I got here, it immediately took me back to my sense memories of like, this like kind of horrifying display of like human fragility.
1: Kingpin finds Rorschach, or I guess we should say Kindred, I'm sorry. <laughs> because what is you know, we, we, we get a we get a Watchman reference here, which was Kindred, you know, you know, Kingpin asking Kindred for for whatever the deal is. I mean we I think we know what the deal is, but uh, and what is Kindred's response?
0: <laughs> no. No, <laughs> And then he took a, yeah, button, then he took a blood stain no. button yeah. off his
1: lapel. No, uh-
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. You know, actually, I did, like, reread some Kindred stuff. And it turns out, like, Mark, for all of our being, like, we assume it's Vanessa Fisk. We actually got confirmation of that all the way back in Amazing Spider-Man number seven. So I don't... <laughs> I don't know how we forgot that, um, but it was so long ago, uh, you know, back in 2018. Wow. So, hundred years um, ago. <laughs> yeah, that feels like a hundred years ago for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about this because it's really interesting that Kindred is like hanging out in the plague in, in Paris, uh, including a reason I'm thinking of at this very moment. Do you remember when Kindred first appeared, he would come out singing uh, Ring Around the Rosie? And that's commonly associated with the Black Death, which could also relates to Paris and the catacombs. So there's some connection there. And that song originates in London, so that could be the mix-up that Liz has: the London and Paris, something about "Ring Around the Rosie" and the Black Death.
1: Frankly, it also kind of begs the 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 idea that you know kindred you know in terms of his identity is is you know whatever the demon that has possessed him is an older older soul if we're if we're reaching back to the black death and you know the parisian catacombs and and all of that and you know like you know i've heard speculation from some people online that maybe kindred is kindred appears to be who the person seeing him wants him to be or or you know fears him to be or whatever and maybe that's why both peter and norman see him as harry for some reason but you know the fact of the matter is like if this is if this is something truly demonic you know like there can certainly be a demon that you know goes back centuries in terms of the havoc it's caused and that would kind of tie it certainly to this era don't you think
0: yeah, absolutely. The question is, like, how did it get attached to Harry? If we do believe this is actually Harry in some form, or like you said, appearing to be Harry. But if it's not Harry, then I don't know what the what the fascination is with, P- with Peter and Norman. Like, I don't know any black death connection. You know, it makes me wonder, like, did Harry stumble across something when he was, you know, in rehab clinics across Europe? As, as I said, from Amazing Spider-Man 581 that's interesting to me, but I do think that like this really kind of sows that connection to the black death and this kind of ring around the rosy lore that wasn't for not, for no reason, which is impressive in its own right. That like, clearly I think this whole thing was sought through from the very beginning, even if we haven't loved how it plays out. So yeah, I I don't really know how to speculate more about that, but like you know the the Europe connection to Harry and these places is interesting.
1: Yep. Well, I would I would put a ring around that plot point, Dan, and we can come back to it. Don't you think? Isn't that a rosy thing to yeah. do? Uh, <laughs> anyway, the the final you know exclamation point on this issue is one of the one of the demons confronting Kingpin about you know you know kind of retroactively his 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 conversation with kindred and brings up the that he's going to need more than the tablet of life and destiny dan wasn't there like 900 years ago a story about all that
0: (laughs) (laughs) so is the takeaway from there that somehow kingpin got all those has all those things collected i mean i can't tell from the way he's speaking but it seems to imply that kingpin already has the tablet of life and destiny, which I thought was prevented, but that story was never really wrapped up. So no, we
1: we 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 had we, it was interrupted by about three months of a pandemic, and then it kind of quickly felt resolved. And I don't know, yeah, it, it's 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 unclear for sure, but it was just kind of
0: interrupted by Gog. Yeah, yeah, interrupted by God, yeah, yeah, interrupted by God it, yeah. and Gog. <laughs> 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 so here here is my speculation on this. I think that, like, it's very clear that Kindred says no, right? Like, and they keep emphasizing this, this no, this no that he says to Kingpin. So what's the opposite of no? Yes. And I think that's what Kingpin is after, is he needs not just the the tablet of life and destiny, you know, to kind of restore someone's youth or whatever. He needs Kindred to bring that person back from the dead. And how do you switch a no to a yes? You get Mr. Negative to touch Kingpin and invert his personality and make him into a yes. You mean Kindred? And, he uh, has to touch
1: Kindred? or Sorry, that's yeah. what I mean. Okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, like negative Kindred. His no will become yes. And that's how you get him to bring back Vanessa. And hey, maybe he can bring back like a bunch of those people sitting at the table too. I I don't know. Now, all I have to do is figure out how the lookouts apply here, but I'm no closer to figuring that out. It's all coming together. It was months ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I I Uh, thought. What what
0: do you think about that, Mark? Does that seem like the right direction? I mean, it,
1: it would make sense from a why is Mr. Negative suddenly being inserted into this story? And like you said at the very beginning of this episode, how it's all connected. So I am certainly willing to entertain that as an outcome so we will we will have to wait and see but overall i mean you know this is definitely my 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 interest is peaked again after quite frankly being a little demoralized for the better part of like three or four <laughs> issues. So here we are.
0: <laughs> so, what is that? You know, I think you were at like a D minus last issue. And yeah, uh, where, 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 is this, where does this peak interest get you this time? I
1: mean, like, I'm a, like honestly, like, I'm on the border here. This is this issue is like a BB plus for me. Like, I mean, I'll say I'll say B just because, like, I don't want to. I don't want to be grading this too much on a a curve here. I I do feel that, you know, like at the end of the day, like this wasn't like a revelation of an issue. It was just like a return to form and it felt and it was fun to read and I enjoyed it. If I get like a string of these issues, like it it would be more of a B plus, but we'll say B. (laughs) How about you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say B too. I mean, I think, you know, brand new day wise, like this would be kind of like a standard issue, of brand new day. And I think a lot of them kind of like, I mean, but with better villains in in, in it, I mean, at least compared to the first half of Brand New Day. And so, like, that's where I would kind of think that these stories are all operating. It's kind of like B, and then every once in a while you get like a Rage of the Rhino or something, or you get a whole string of them in the gauntlet where you just are are pumping out A-level work over and over again. But, uh, yeah, this is a solid B. Not one you're going to remember, one that's an, an enjoyable, just kind of classic This is how Spider-Man stories work.
1: Absolutely. Amazing Spider-Talk, where when we reference Brand New Day, it's a positive. (laughs) Go figure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, go figure.
1: Well, uh, Dan, alas, it is that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk.
0: Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Copes with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, Ray Sumzer, and our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxon, and Spider-Maj. And this episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? And uh, I, I do want to give a special shout out to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, which has kind of been gearing back up recently and even got a new co-host. You know, I think Kane, his life had kind of taken some swerves and, you know, I think he needed to take a bit of a break. Uh, so now we've got the Twitter handle at Down the Web is our, our, our new co-host over there. And she's a lot of fun. So I, I can't encourage you enough to go check out. That podcast if you haven't already. So, Mark, until your son reveals your secret arsenal of weaponry to your wife, (laughs) what's your what's our motto?
1: Oh man, I I would be in so much trouble when that happens. But until that happens, (laughs) our motto is: with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, Don't miss the next
0: installment.